Welcome to the podcast of First Baptist Church in Wilson, Oklahoma, preaching the weekly teaching and preaching ministry of the church. We are grateful that you are choosing to join us today. Our prayer is that you are blessed by today's study of God's Word, and your heart will be receptive to what God desires to teach you today. For more information about FBC Wilson, please visit our website at fbcwilson.org. We hope you enjoyed today's service, and we look forward to studying God's Word with you today. that we're going to be looking at tonight. So Hosea is just a really good place to start. Now with all of these, done the same thing. We asked the question, who was he? And that's just biographical, factual information. Then we'll ask the question, well, why do we know him? Um, and sometimes that can be a, a bit of a splitting hairs type of thing. And then we'll ask the question, well, what lessons can we take that he teaches us? So um, starting there in Hosea, will anybody know how many chapters are in Hosea? Fourteen. All right. See, she's got one of those little deals that she punches the screen and it shows all. Oh, okay. All right. So you got so you got fourteen chapters in Hosea. He's considered one of the minor prophets. So this guy named Hosea. What what do we know about? I'm not asking about why do we know him as far as the story of his life. What do we know about him? Biographical information. His father's name is Barry. His father's name is Barry. Barry. Mr. B, right? Alright, so that's his father's name. Do we know anything about his father? He's the father of Hosea, right? Yeah, he's the father of Hosea, okay? So, the only place that I can find in Scripture where this name is given, B-E-R-I, is right there um, in Hosea 1.1. There's another... Um, giving of the name Beery, but it's in reference to a different person. And you'll see that if you want to go back and fact check me in Genesis chapter 26 and and verse 34. But it's not talking about the same person. So you'll find two places in Scripture where this name is given. Once here in reference to the father of Hosea, but then you go back to Genesis chapter 26 and 34 it mentions the same name, but it's a different person. So, he's got his father, his father's name Beery, but we really don't know anything about that. Do we know what his mother's name is? No. Okay. We don't. I, I couldn't find anything on a mother. Do we know kind of when he lived? A time period of when he lived? Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Sabrina. Go ahead. Give give it. Give us your your rendering. All right. So it says in it says in Hosea chapter one and verse one. It says the word of the Lord that came to Hosea the son of Beeri in the days of. Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. So, if you file back in your Rolodex, um, and you go back and you think about your Old Testament history, does that give us a clue of a time period in which Hosea was prophesying? 8th century B.C. 8th century B.C., that's exactly right. So um, a lot of people would say somewhere between 753 B.C. and 687 B.C. Now there's not really a way of putting a definite finger on it because if you look there in chapter 1 and verse 1, it mentions four different kings 
during the period of Judah and uh, two kings during the period of Israel. So we know that the kings did not rule simultaneously and so there is a period of time where those kings ruled and so really the best way we can narrow it down to is 753 to 687, roughly the 8th century B.C. But what we also know is Hosea is prophesying to which kingdom? Israel. Israel, which would be the how many tribes? The ten. The ten northern tribes. So you have Israel, which is the ten northern tribes. Also, also you will see them referenced in the book of Hosea as Ephraim. And it was just a, uh, a name used during that time period to refer to those ten tribes, or to refer to those people to the north. And so he is prophesying to Israel, to the ten northern tribes, because that was already after the split, right? So this was already after that had come. And then what ends up happening to the ten northern tribes? They go into captivity by who? The Assyrians. Do you remember what year that was? Gold star extra credit? Yes, sir. 722 B.C. Yes. Good job. Okay, so 722 B.C. So you say, well, Spence, how does that help us? Well, if Hosea is prophesying to a people before they were conquered, we know that he is prophesying at least partially the book of Hosea before 722 B.C. So we may not know that it was 724 B.C., but we do know it's in that time period. Make sense? Make sense? All right. Uh, So we got kind of a period of where he lived. Got a father. Mother's not given. Uh, sibling? Any any mention of a brother or sister? I couldn't find anything. Uh, was he married? Yeah. Okay, what was his wife's name? Gomer. What an unfortunate name. Perfect. What an unfortunate... And I always wonder, I always, I always like to go back and ask Matlock why, why he named him Gomer Pyle. I mean, like, when you're the creators, you're the writer of the Andy Griffith show, right? So, so like, why would you, like, that character is going to be named Gomer? Because Gomer doesn't have the best of... History. No, she was Gomer before Gomer Pyle. Well, I know that, but you, when you're writing the Andy Griffith show, right, and you're writing out characters' names, and you're like, okay, we've got a character here, and he's going to be a, a special one, and he's going to be a unique one. we got to come up with a name for him. And like, what? They didn't do Sam or Bill or John. They said, oh, we're going to use Gomer. And I'm thinking, did nobody have a Bible when they were writing the Andy Griffith show? Because that's just, I don't know, that's... Out there. Anyways. Okay, so he had a wife named Gomer. How do we know that he had a wife named Gomer? Chapter 1, verse 3. That's right. So he says, so he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Diblame. Do we know anything about Diblame? You probably do. Uh-uh. No, I, I have no idea who uh, Dibwame was. It's just mentioned right there. Another one that it's mentioned, but we really don't know much about. Sometimes when you're doing these, I mean, sometimes you can chase some of these rabbits and they go somewhere and sometimes the rabbits just go in a hole and you got to move on to the next one. All right. So so she's the daughter of Dibwame. So he has a wife. Um, did he have any other wives that we know about? No, she was enough. She was. We'll get to that in a minute. All right. Did he have any children? Three. Three children. Do we know the names of the three children? What? She had children before. The what? Does it say it in the text? Oh. Oh, commentary. Well, we'll we'll we'll. we'll 
we'll reserve that for consideration after we just look at the text. Okay. <laughs> Possibly. Alright, so she had a son uh, named Jezreel. You're probably getting that out of where? Verse 4 of chapter 1? Yeah. Is that right, Hurley? Okay, so she had a son named Jezreel. And a daughter named A daughter named Where are you at? 8. 1-6. 1-6. Yours says... What? Oh, Loami. Is that is that L O A M M I? L O R U H A M A H. Okay. All right. So that is in the Hebrew. You go to the English translation. So some of your does everybody's Bibles use that 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 same name? Where? So this he so this see this is good. All right. So you're in chapter one and verse six. She conceived again and bore a daughter. And the Lord said to him, "Call her name." And that's where Hurley in your in your Bible it says the Loharama, right? All right. So some of your Bibles so some of your Bibles are going to have that. Some of your Bibles are going to say something else. Call her no mercy. What's the difference? Is this we have we found our first error? No, no. The Loharami is the Hebrew. No mercy is the English translation of the Hebrew. So, if you have a Bible that it says there in chapter 1 and verse 6, and the Lord said to call her, or call her name, no mercy, and you're like, look at that. Some of you, like here in the Bible that I have, it has a footnote reference there in a superscript, and it takes me down to a footnote that says in the Hebrew, it's Lohurami, which means she has not received mercy. So sometimes when you get there, it's not an error, it's just different translations have different philosophies on how they make their translations. So, um, chapter 1, verse 6, has a daughter. Um, I'm just going to go with what I have here, called her No Mercy, where I'm not going to keep trying to pronounce the L word because I'm going I'm to pronounce it differently every time. All right, so he has a has a son, Jezreel, has a daughter, No Mercy, does, does has another son. Where do you see that at? Verse 1, verse chapter 9. Okay. Or chapter 1, verse 9. Chapter 1, verse 9. And the Lord said, call his name Loami, Loami which means not my people. Not my people. <laughs> okay, so does, does it record that he had any other children? Okay. I don't know what Ms. Donna's commentary says. Um, no, no. I, I, so, there... What? Well, in chapter 2, it says when the Lord began to get born, the Lord said to Hosea, go take yourself a wife of harlotry and children of harlotry. Okay. Is that implied? So there is speculation, and, and, and maybe I'm not saying that it's wrong, but let me give you a, maybe a different way to look at it. So if you look there in chapter 1 and verse 3, and it says, she conceived and bore him a son. Do you all see that? Well, even verse 2. Okay, so... Verse 2. He says, take yourself a wife of harlotry and have children of harlotry. So, they're considering the whole thing harlotry in the first place. Well, so there's speculation. So you have in verse 3, it says, conceived and bore him him a son. But then you can look down there at verse 6, and it says, she conceived again and bore a daughter. Then you look down there in verse 8 and it says when she had weaned and no mercy she conceived and bore a son. 
Now, I have found, I have this past week, I, I found some writers that speculated that when you look up there in verse 3 and it says that she bore him a son, meaning that that was his child. But then you look down there in verse 6 and verse 8 and it says bore a son. They imply, insinuate that she had a child after Jezreel, but had the child um, through unfaithfulness which could satisfy the go get a harlot and have children you know children out of harlotly could imply that she had other children outside of the marriage confines now does it say that she had that she mothered children after Jezreel that were not Hosea's it doesn't say that but if you look at the language you could get that impression is that something worth going to seed on? I don't think it's any, I don't think it's something worth just making a big argument about. Just being aware of it and just going, hey, because when you start thinking about how different translations come about, and you start thinking about the different translations that we have, to place an argument on a him or an a. It's fine if you're going back to the original and you're looking at the word or the original. But sometimes when we're telling a story, I mean, you just imagine if, I, if I'm telling a story about supper tonight and Harold is telling a story about supper tonight, he might use an A and I might use a him, but we're both telling the same story. Well, if somebody is listening to Harold and decides to develop an entire understanding about supper based upon the him, that can sometimes be a, a, a pitfall. So we just got to be careful. I'm not saying it's not true. I'm just saying don't just, don't split churches over their, whether they were government, whether they were Hosea's or not. Yes, do you have something, ma'am? Character. Uh-huh. This is a, I mean, this is a pattern for her. So if you judge someone by the fruit. Absolutely. And based upon chapter 1 and verse 2, she was, um, immoral before he married her. So it really wouldn't and, and then we'll see in a minute how she continued that lifestyle after he married her. So it's very well possible that she could have had these children. The way it's given in the text gives us the indication that, the, that, that this is the birth order though that came. But then if you get down there in chapter 3 you'll see where it is possible that she might have had children um, that were under his household but weren't his children. So, uh, so you got you got some children. You got the son Jezreel. You got the daughter No Mercy. You got the son, not my people. Anything else biographically that we have from Hosea? Any other children? Anything about his death? How old he was when he passed? I didn't find anything. So I maybe I thought maybe y'all would have something there. Okay. So. Uh, that kind of covers up the biographical side. Now let's talk about why do we know him. Let's go back to chapter 1. Why do we know the name Hosea? So we've been talking about the famous and the infamous. Why do we know Hosea? So kind of put a snapshot. Like why do we know this guy from Scripture? Why is he somebody worthy of us talking about tonight? He called Israel to repentance. God used him to call Israel to repentance. Okay. All right. Yes, ma'am. You're all right. <laughs> okay. He was the last prophet before they were taken away, too. That's right. He was the la- last one to prophesy to the, the people of Israel. 
um, that, those ten northern tribes, the kingdom of Israel, before their conquest. That's right. One of the reasons that I suggest that we know him is because he was called by God to be a physical picture of a national reality. So God uses him and uses his life as a physical representation of what God is going to do to an entire nation of people. So you, you will see places like there in chapter 1 and uh, verse 4 where the Lord said to him, call his name Jezreel for in just a little while I will punish the house of Jehu for the blood of Jezreel and I will put an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. And then you get down to chapter 1 and verse 6 and God says, call her no mercy. Why? I will have no more mercy on the house of Israel forgive them at all. And then you look down there in verse 9 and when he talks about call the daughter or the, call the son not my people why? Because he is making a proclamation and he is making a point that these people of Israel, they are no longer my people. And so it's like God uses Hosea as a physical representation of what God is going to do spiritually and tangibly to an entire nation. I think that is significant to me because you think about Hosea. We don't know what Hosea was doing before Hosea chapter 1 and verse 1. We really don't know what's going on. But can you just imagine God coming to you and God saying, Hey, I want you to go marry an unfaithful woman. And I want you to have children. And you're going to name the children names to then depict what I'm going to do. I'm going to use your life to show a very negative, undesirable, judgmental thing to an entire people. Can you imagine Hoseas and they're going, well, go use somebody else. Or why don't you write it in the sky? Or why don't you put it on a piece of paper? Why don't you give them to that? Why do I got to live this out as a physical representation? But that's what, that's the whole story of Hosea is about God. We don't know anything before. We really don't know anything afterward. But all we know about Hosea is how God used him and used his life to be an example to the, the nation, the kingdom of Israel about what God was going to do with them. And I know this is kind of jumping ahead, you know, but sometimes we just assume whatever circumstance we're in or whatever situation we're in, we just assume that it's all about us. Woe is me, poor pitiful me, gloom, gloom, despair, agony, oh my. I mean, sometimes we get in that rut. We start to think about me, me, me. And I'm not saying that it's always a bigger picture, but what if God was using your circumstance to be in a model and example to someone else about how you should live? What if God was using your challenges, using your difficulties, using your hardships to demonstrate faithfulness to God? Maybe what if God was using your limitations and your challenges so that other people could see what obedience and patience and long-suffering looked like from somebody that claimed to be a follower of Jesus Christ? I mean, what if God was using us like that? And you may say, well, Spencer, there's no way until you get to the book of Hosea or the book of Job or the book of Ezekiel or the book of Isaiah or the book of Jeremiah and Lamentations, or to the life of David, or many other places in the Scripture, you see God used people and used their life as a picture to show other people. 
that make sense? So one of the reasons why we know about him is because how God used him and then how that family then represented these actions. So it talks about there in chapter 2 and verse 13 about what his wife does. His wife decides that she's going to leave the confines of matrimony and of marriage and she is going to go out and seek, seek a comfort elsewhere. So, that's what happens. If you look down there in uh, chapter 2, she ends up leaving Hosea and goes somewhere else. But then God comes in and says what she is doing is a picture of what the people of Israel have done to me. So, he says there in verse 13 of chapter 2, And I will punish her for the feast days of the Baals when she burned offerings to them and adorned herself with a ring and jewelry and went after her lovers and forgot me, declares the Lord. And who's he talking about? Is he talking about Gomer? No, he's talking about the nation of Israel, but he's using the actions of Gomer to say that's an example. That's a demonstration. So you're sitting there and you're saying, you're like, God, could you not have demonstrated this in a different way? And God says, no, you're going to go through this. You're going to go through this agony. You're going to go through these challenges. You're going to go through all this discomfort. You're going to go through the days that stink, to put it nicely. Why? Because he's doing something through the family. And it wasn't just Hosea, it was the wife, and it was even the three children. I mean, can you imagine walking around every day as an 11-year-old young man, and someone's like, hey, what's your name? My name, not my people. (laughs) What does that mean? It means that you're no longer part of God's people. Repent before you burn. I mean, can you imagine that being your life? But that's how they were labeled. And so you also see this down there in uh, chapter 2 and verse 16. And it says, In that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband, and no longer will you or that you will call me my husband, and no longer will you call me my bail. So he's saying, there's coming a day You've abandoned me, but there's going to come a day that you're going to return back to me. And you say, well, does that happen in the life of Hosea? Yes. Chapter 3, verse 1. The Lord said to me, Go again. Love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress, as even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes and raisins. So it says there in verse 2, So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and lechthek of barley. Now, translation, that's about 9 bushels in our modern measurements. 15 shekels. Um, if you're like, what's so significant about 15 shekels? Well, the average price of a just generic grade slave in that time, just the standard price, was 30 shekels. So if you're reading this in the context, you're like, he went out and bought this woman and she wasn't even valued by the person that owned her as even being worth one of your just grade common slaves. But what does he do? He goes and he gets her and it says that he brings her back. And he goes to her in verse 3, You must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play uh, the whore or belong to the man, so I will also be to you. And you think, well, how in the world could I ever um, get past situations that come up in the normal run of life? Um, Because God is good. And God can forgive. And reconciliation can happen. Restoration can happen. And you say, well, 
I just don't think I could ever do that. Imagine being Hosea. Not only did he go into this knowing who she was, but then he dealt with who she was, and then God says, go and get her. He has to go and buy his wife back, and then look at her in verse 3 and says, you got to stay here now. Why? Because God told him to. But this is exactly what God has done with his people. He That's chose right. the people for himself. That's right. He provided for them, but they went chasing after other gods. And they come back and they keep forgiven. And everything's fine for a while. And then they take off and chasing other gods. And that's the story of, of, of God's chosen people. That's what they have done to him. That's right. And he has remained faithful to us. That's right. And that's, that's kind of a microcosm of the book of Judges. Yeah. I mean, that's what it is. You know, they, they uh, get in trouble and they cry out. God sends a deliverance through a judge, um, gets them out of the pickle they're in. They say, we're going to do right. We're going to do what we're supposed to do. And then a period of time goes by. They forget. They rebel. They get in the pickle. They cry out. God sends a, somebody to get them out of their mind. And it's just a cycle back and forth and back and forth. But we see how, uh, why do we know Hosea? It's, it's because how God used Hosea. And then starting in chapter 4 through chapter 10, Hosea starts to prophesy all these judgments that are coming upon the people. I don't have time to go through them, but you can see uh, chapter 4 all the way down through chapter 10, um, time after time, he says, this is why um, judgment is coming. And so if you want to just jot these down in chapter 4 and verse 12, he's talking about their idolatry and how they had abandoned the worship of God and gone after Baals and gone after their idols. Chapter 5, verses 3 through 4, he's talking about how they had abandoned the, the commandments of God. And so even though they knew what God had instructed them to do, they decided they are going to do their own thing. Uh, chapter 6, verses 5 through 6, talks about how they are engaging in what com- looks like religious activity, but it's all in vanity. They're not doing it because they intend to do it. They're doing it just so they can look the part. They're doing it just to put on a show. But God knows their heart and God is disgusted with their heart. And then in chapter 7, talks about the hypocrisy and about how that God can't stand the show they're putting on when it's not genuine and when it's not real. And so he says, this judgment is coming. And so Hosea in chapter 4 goes back and he buys Gomer. But then that's where the the story shifts from his family to now the judgment that God is proclaiming upon Israel. But then you get down to chapter 14. Yeah, chapter 14. There's a beautiful, beautiful narrative in these nine verses where God says, even though you're going to be conquered by the Assyrians, and even though you're doing this because of your judgment, ultimately at the end of the day, you're a Jew. And at the end of the day, the Jews are my people. And I will not completely abandon my people. They are my people, and they will be my people for an eternity. And I will not abandon my people. And you get this in chapter 14. Um, like look at verse 1. Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God, for you have stumbled because of your iniquity. Take with your words and return to the Lord. Say to Him, Take away all iniquity, except what is good, and we will pay with bulls the vows of our lips. Assyria shall not save us. We will not ride on horses, and we will say no more, Our God, to the work of our hands. In you the orphan finds mercy. I will heal their apostasy. I will love them freely, for my anger has turned from them. So if you get in the latter chapters of the book of Hosea, what you find is is that God says, you have been unfaithful. You have gone after false idols. You have gone after false worship. And you will. there's consequences and there's judgment that comes from that. But you're still...
still my people. And I still love you. And there will still be a time where you as a people, not as a person, but you as a people, will be redeemed back to me. And God shows that mercy upon the people at large that even despite their sin, God still is going to make a way for them to be forgiven of their sin. You might have a different opinion on the end times, and that is perfectly okay. My personal opinion is when we see the period of tribulation that it talks about in Revelation. My personal opinion is that that time of tribulation is not for the church. It is not for believers in Jesus Christ. That is a time of purification. That is a time for the people of the Jewish... uh, That is a time for the Jews to understand and to realize that Christ had come and they had missed that Christ and for them to turn to Christ and be saved. Different people have different opinions and that is perfectly okay. Um, We're not going to break fellowship over it. But my opinion is that seven years of tribulation, you will go to the revelation, you'll see all this stuff and you're like, wow, 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 wow. The focus not on us because we believe in Jesus Christ and because we're part of the church writ large. The focus in there is on the Jewish people. And that's why it talks about the Jews and the 144,000 etc, etc, etc. Because that is a time of purification and that is a time of getting their attention. But you get there to chapter 14 and it just says that God is going to restore His people. Where do we see that at? Well, we see that on the cross when Jesus died for our sins. A means of restoring us. A means of redeeming us. We see it at the end of Revelation where everything that is old is now new. And that stuff has been restored. And forever and ever and ever we will be in perfect union with God. Because at the end, not necessarily the person, but the people, they will be restored. They will be redeemed. And Hosea is saying, yes, you're going to go. You're going to be conquered. And it's going to look like God has forgotten you. It's going to look like God has abandoned you. It's going to look like God despises you and is hating you. Understand that there are consequences for our sin. There are penalties for our behavior. Those are right and those are true. But at the end of the day, God loves you. And desires for you to return to Him. And at the end of the day, God is compassionate. Why is He compassionate? He's compassionate because He's going to provide a way for them to be restored to Him. It's kind of a quick run through why we know about Hosea. Got a few minutes. Any lessons that come to mind that we think about in the book of Hosea? Obedience. Obedience. That, 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 that idea that the call to serve God is not always on Sundays and Wednesdays. And sometimes that call to serve God, we say, God, I will as long as it's comfortable. Or I will as long as it's easier. I will as long as I have all the answers. But what happens when it's yucky? It's also an opportunity to serve God. He just also points out God's <laughs> Yeah, his unfailing love. That's right. Yeah. So one of the things that stood out to me was to kind of tack on what she said um, with God's unfailing love that you know we as Christians are also called to love with no end, even if there are people you know Gomer literally stepped out on her husband and he was still called to love her unconditionally. And I think we um, we forget that Um, we have to love people even when they irritate us or don't 
Yeah, and we're in a season, I don't think it's a new season, we're in a season, you know, where you have a lot of infidelity that goes on in our culture. And, I mean, there's, there's, a, there's a woman in this community that her husband was unfaithful. And uh, they're in the process right now of trying to pursue uh, a dissolution of marriage in the courts. And when you talk to her, I mean, she's just like, there's no other option. This is just the way it is. He was unfaithful, period. And there's no mention about what does God want me to do in this situation. And I'm not saying, well, it's easy peasy. But I am saying that there's an element there that we need to ask ourselves, what does God want me to do? More so than what I want to do or my friends around me want to do or what society says that I should do. We have to have the question, what does God want me to do? I'm not trying to play the Holy Spirit to that individual, but at the same time, I mean, that's not even on the table. And you say, well, that's asking too much. It might be. To the person, they might feel like that's asking too much. But biblically, God asked more of people than just that. And biblically, we see where God blessed people's obedience when they sacrificed more than that. I mean, we see this. And so, I'm, I'm the chief among us in the room. I mean, there's times and circumstances that I'm like, this isn't fair, and I don't like it, and I don't deserve it, and rah, 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 and I get that old bottom loop out, and I start my little pity party, and I'm the, I'm, the, I'm the host of the party, and it's like, stop. We were bought with a price. We were bought with a price. And maybe I should ask myself, how is God going to get glory in this circumstance instead of how am I going to put blame on God for this circumstance? Sometimes the circumstances are good and sometimes the circumstances are difficult. But God can be glorified in both. So. I think we need to remember to seek comfort or throughout our, through our sorrow and our hurt. Because a lot of times we're, you know, we do praises. Every, I think we do praises less than we do um, asks. Uh-huh. Um, but when we aren't feeling worthy or we're not feeling like we can praise, we need to seek God for that as well. That's right. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Okay. Society has a, it's about what makes me happy. I think Hosea is a good reminder that not even our marriages are about what makes us happy. I'm over time. Thank you all for being here. Mr. Mark, would you be willing to close this in order of prayer? And we'll go home. Thank you for joining us today at FBC Wellston. We would love to hear from you or connect with you if you will visit our website at fbcwellston.org. Please let us know if we can serve you in any way, and we look forward to connecting with you in the future.